Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Stellantis, uh, folks that make uh, cars uh, in, well, Brampton and other places like this have um, announced uh, the end of a couple of uh, very popular lines over the last little while. But it just this is the evolution of the auto industry, I guess, uh, with the electrification and so many other things going on. Anyway, we're going to give you some details uh, about that later on this hour. Right now, though, uh, this was a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, a Canadian delegation are hoping to make a trip to Taiwan. Uh, members of Parliament's uh, Standing Committee on International Trade are planning a trip to Taiwan as early as October, uh, according to the chair of that committee, uh, who's Liberal MP Judy Scrow, as a matter of fact. Uh, is this such a good idea, uh, given some of the scenarios that we've seen with China and Canada relations, and, and more recently, of course, the Nancy Pelosi trip uh, that seemed to really uh, bother the Chinese. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Robert Hewish. Uh, Dr. Hewish is a, an associate professor with the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. Uh, professor, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks so much. Let me ask you, Judy Scrow, who's in charge of this committee, uh, in, in justification, I guess, for this, says uh, that we're going to be diplomatic, but this is a very necessary trip. In, in your opinion, is it is it a necessary trip? It, it is and it isn't uh, for, for two reasons. That's a, it's a terrible answer, I know, but it's really a combination of pushback and opportunity. Answer. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a symbolic pushback for how China has approached Canadian relations in the past couple of years, which has been uh, persistent bullying and all sorts of uh, microaggressions on various industries in Canada based on, on broader politics. As I think you and I have discussed earlier, China's real focus is on balancing relations with the United States. And the way that mm -hmm. it does that is by putting pressure on the allies of the U.S. So putting a, a committee together to say, we're going to go to to Taiwan, and we can get into the historical significance of that, uh, is, is a political pushback against Beijing. But it's also an opportunity because we see that now the U.S. is going to do more to protect the strategic interests of Taiwan. And if there are opportunities to benefit from what uh, what Taiwanese industry is now producing, everything from microprocessors to, to, to semiconductors, Canadian industry may, may benefit from that. But this group that's going over is what's considered a friendship group. So it's actually not uh, an official uh, bilateral relationship with parliament. It, it's sort of a ex officio. It allows members of parliament to, to be diplomats, not parliamentarians in this light. But are, are they going to be perceived as intruders? I mean, the, the, the Chinese did not take well when Nancy Pelosi went over there, too. And, and the Biden administration, I think, was, was trying to be as clear as they could to say she's not there representing us, but she is a high-profile politician in the American political system, certainly. And, and it ruffled their feathers. Uh, is this committee going to have the same impact on, on the Chinese government? Are they going to respond in, in kind? Oh, absolutely. They will. Uh, they will. There'll be lots of taunting that'll come back our way for this this delegation, and it, there'll be there'll be the similar sort of language that we can expect of just how reckless it would be for Canada to send uh, parliamentarians over uh, to, to to visit Taiwan, which is uh, mirrors what the Chinese government said about Miss Pelosi's visit that it was a quote unquote manic, irresponsible, and highly irrational act, according to officials in in Beijing, but. What it what it does here is it, it's it's going to be about uh, you know putting the, the sort of pressure that's changing with the relations that China has had with the world. So since the seventies, Canada and the U.S. have sort of gone behind the the one China policy, saying we were, we'll only declare 
uh, you know, Beijing as the government of China. But now that there's more cozying up to what's gone on in in Taiwan uh, and to, to visit Taipei, this is this is now the next step in sort of a longer history of, of jockeying around Taiwan with uh, between China and and the US and, and Canada included. Uh, Miss Pelosi, when she was there in August 2nd and 3rd, her the first person to actually, well, I guess the last person to in her role to do that sort of adventure was Newt Gingrich in 1997, when there was a lot of tension going on between Beijing and Washington at the time. He went over, more feathers were ruffled, there was lots of boistering, but then it did calm down. And I don't think that we're seeing this opportunity as being the same era as the last one. Uh, when Mr. Gingrich went over, uh, the project was about opening up China and say, well, if, we, if we're unable to, to, to bring about more business opportunities in mainland China, then we'll, then we'll hang out here in, in Taiwan and, and really focus on protecting democracy and human rights. So not the same case today. Today, we see that China is more than willing to demonstrate its, its military capabilities and to show that it wants to have influence in very broad strokes across the globe. And this is more about strategic positioning to say, which side are you going to really support in the end? And this is Canada aligning with what Washington's agenda is. How committed do you think Washington is to this? I mean, it, we, you know, some people are suggesting that, you know, the Chinese invasion of Taiwan is imminent. I mean, you know, they're all around them all the way. And when, as you mentioned, when Nancy Pelosi was there just a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden there were military actions and, and you know, exercises going on, jets scraping over Taiwan and Taipei. And, and they, they were sending a message quite clearly. I, I'm not anticipating that's necessarily going to happen here. Uh, do they look at the Canadian involvement here as, as, as just a nuisance or, or is this a statement saying we we're with America on this? So it's, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of factors here. Uh, when international delegations show up in Taiwan, we, we can absolutely expect more military uh, boistering from, uh, from China. The, the, the demonstrations of jets and rockets are certainly going to be part of the equation. Uh, in terms of, you know, something that triggers, you know, an actual war breaking out, it's, it's not as close as, as we think it might be. There's actually been moments in the history of, of Chinese and American relations where war did break out over um, where the conflict was, was ready to go between, uh, between China and the U.S. over Taiwan. But the danger is here, China tends to use these political crises as an opportunity to negotiate new boundaries or to push its way into, into Taiwan territory and airspace and, and waters. So that's something to be really quite cautious about. But in terms of, um, you know, what, what we can expect is that because now it's not the U.S. delegation going over, it's a U.S. ally going over, we can likely expect some longer-term reaction from Beijing for this trip. Uh, and what we've seen in the past, based on working experience, is that when China's disgruntled, there'll be some industry somewhere in the country that'll get targeted. It could be pork, it could be lobster, it could be wood, it whatever it could be, they will get the pressure put on them. And it will likely be very strategic. It would, be, it would likely be what part of the country is the Liberal Party hurting in uh, when this delegation goes over, what's the industry in that area? And that'll be where the pressure goes from, from China to say, well, we're going to boycott this industry that would be in a place where, uh, you know, liberal seats could be, uh, could be maintained or held in the future election. So that's really the, the strategy uh, that, that comes out of, out of these moments. So it's, uh, it's trying to build opportunity 
uh, out of what China's perceiving as crisis. And it's, uh, we should all be very, very aware that, you know, Chinese authorities are very much uh, tuned into how Canadian politics work in that way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we found that to be the case, haven't we, already? Uh, but are we willing to pay that price? It's a gamble, I guess, really, uh, you know, when we look at, at the implications of this. Uh, you know, when when we decide we're going to, you know, have the Americans back, like, yeah, yeah, well, you know what? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll arrest the Huawei uh, chief financial officer for it. Sure. No problem. Uh, and, and then the two Michael situation and, and et cetera. You don't know what what the ramifications of this are going to be, but we don't play defense too well when the Chinese decide they're going to target Canada. And you're right. I mean, there's, there's this smorgasbord here where they can go. You know, they've already got their nose up in the Arctic. They're looking for mineral rights. And and, mm-hmm. and and God knows, you know, they're intertwined in, in universities here with, you know, grants for research and development and things of this nature. I mean, they, they've got a foothold here already, uh, and they could do some damage here. Oh, big time. And, and I'm just uh, using the political rhetoric that came out of China, both from the government officials, government sources, and on Chinese social media during Miss Pelosi's visit, and it was vicious. I mean, at, uh, there, there was, uh, you know, Mr. Xi, Xi Jinping has to present himself as sort of a strong person. He's got to, he's got to be out there mm-hmm. showing that he's going to be tough about Chinese interests. But on Chinese social media, there, there were people that were reporting, uh, you know, calls to say that uh, they were so outraged that China would allow this to happen that they should just shoot down Miss Pelosi's plane. So that sort of real heated rhetoric gets going. And the consequences, we don't know where they're going to echo out. Uh, my personal advice is that if our delegation goes over, maybe that's not the time for ordinary Canadians to be taking holidays to China because there, are, there is always a threat of arbitrary detention in that country. So that's mm-hmm. just one thing to think about. Uh, and on and on it goes in situations like this. So what is the end game? I mean, when this committee goes over there, let's assume that they, they follow through on the schedule they're talking about here and sometime in October they travel over there. It, it, what's the agenda? They're going to meet with political leaders, obviously, and that's kind of rubbing it in the nose of the Chinese government. Uh, and as you say, he's already he's he's in the process right now of getting elected for life, so he he's got to be flexing his muscle. Uh, they've already, I guess, the one thing that has changed, and you touched t- touched on this just a second ago, is they're trying right now exert dominance over that whole region of the world right now. I mean, they're basically saying this is our backyard. Don't even come in here anymore. So you got to figure that there's going to be some pushback here. Yeah, and I think I think Bill, what we're seeing here is is this is the beginning of a repositioning of of interests by Western governments. So, for Canada, uh, this delegation will likely you know try to make nice with Taiwanese industry and offer potential trade solutions. Uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the the auto industry is changing in this country, mm-hmm. and you know, there's technology in Taiwan that that could help facilitate that change. So, that's there, but there's also going to be a bit more along the lines of rewriting that story between Chinese and Canadian relations. So since back to the 1960s when, you know, uh, the, the, it was then uh, Pierre Trudeau and uh, Senator Jacques Hubert were the, the, the two innocents abroad who went to, to, to China before, before Nixon did, we sort of have this narrative about what the two countries have, have built as this relationship back to the 60s. But that's really changing. And I think that we're, we're, we're going to hear other parts of that history coming more forward. Like the fact that, uh, uh, you know, it, it was, it was uh, you know, the United States after World War II that was actually said, you know, we'll never interfere in Chinese uh, politics or if there's, there's military aggression going on, we'll stay out of it. But then 
you know, they were the first in line to to defend Taiwan after after the World War II. And it's going to be a bit more about re reimagining some of these tensions that have come out of, of that history, but also thinking about how going forward uh, by having solid relationships with the periphery of China and places like Taiwan and saying that we're willing to be, be present there, it's not going to give a carte blanche to to Mr. Xi Jinping to say that this is his area of the world and he can do what he likes. It's it's going to reinforce uh, the commitments by countries like the United States, uh, possibly Canada, to even put more military presence in the area to defend Taiwan's borders. So that's the long-term goal, but with many things that, uh, that Canada does with foreign policy, it, it promises big and sometimes delivers small. And we'll, we'll really just have to see what, uh, what, what sort of policies come out of this, this exchange with these parliamentarians who want to go over there. As I'm sure you know, there's a story this morning, too, that apparently a German delegation, very like-minded like this, a friendship delegation, uh, is heading over there probably at the same time. Is, is this a concerted effort? I, by, by, well, I was going to say NATO, but it could be G7 as well, uh, to, to show some sense of solidarity to the Chinese? You know, I think it's. I think it is a, a sense of solidarity that that this is going to be based on, and and it's one to say that if these friendship delegations keep going over, uh, it's almost taunting to say, well, you can't sanction us all, or you can't uh, punish us all for for taking these actions on. Now, that's that's quite the flag to wave in in front of China because we can always expect some sort of reaction from them. Um, and the question is, is there, is there political support within these countries at home to say it's worth it? It's worthwhile to, to make relations with Taiwan that, uh, you know, the, the history of the country is, has blossomed from a military dictatorship itself into quite a prosperous liberal democracy of 24 million people. And if that matters and there is a show of presence by U.S. allies, uh, then there's less likelihood that Taiwan itself would be unsubjected to any sort of Chinese attack, but it doesn't mean that that China is going to back down from playing its games with uh, with allies in Europe or or North America. I think we can expect to see a lot more of that in the future. Would we? I, I've got about a minute left here, but from that strategic standpoint, uh, would we be better served as opposed to trying to defang China to so simply to try to, as you say, create some stronger relationships uh, with, with some of the other countries in that? India comes to mind. I know that China's. Uh, looking very closely to try to get involved in, in India and Afghanistan and places like that, uh, to, to, to be courting Modi and, and others in, in, in that region of the world to simply say, let's, let's make a deal here and, and, and kind of, you know, give the Chinese this message that, look, at, this is not your backyard. They, you know, they, they, you're part of the global family. You're not running the whole thing. Yeah, I, and I think sometimes Canada forgets that it is a Pacific nation, right? There is a huge quantity of territory on the Pacific Ocean that is that is Canada. We're we're part of we're part of APEC. We're part of these organizations that are about protection and prosperity for the Pacific. And if I could just speak personally on this, when I was in uh, doing research in 2019 in in Pacific Islands, uh, there were some there that had the Taiwanese. Uh, embassy present like like Kiribati and so we were there we were doing research and work in in Kiribati which is right in the middle of the Pacific maybe a two-hour flight northeast of, of Fiji and by the time we came back for our second trip that uh, embassy had folded up and it was now a Chinese one that set up shop and what we're seeing there is a lot of smaller islands that own massive quantities of the Pacific Ocean are now realigning themselves with Beijing 
Uh, whereas they were, these countries were benefiting a lot from Taiwanese support beforehand. So this could be an area where Canada could do a lot to remind some of the partners in the Pacific that they don't just have to be part of, of, of China's uh, window, that there's opportunities for other pathways to development. But we really need to up our game as, as a country to, to extend that message. Well, worth watching, obviously, to see what happens over the next couple of months. Uh, Robert, as always, thank you so much for this. I always appreciate your time. My, my pleasure, Bill. Thanks so much indeed. Take care. Dr. Robert Hewish, uh, of course, Associate Professor at Dalhousie University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.